Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences. You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10. The Prolific Writer Podcast, wait for it, episode 32. Have you found Jesus yet? No. I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, so. <laughs> what you talking about? 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 What you talking Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan Pelton. I am so glad that you are here. However you found us, you may be on the train. You may be on your bike. You may be on the treadmill. You may be making dinner. You may be mm, making breakfast. How about lunch? I don't know how you found us or how you're listening to this, but somehow these soothing sounds of my voice are coming into your ears and that's a good thing. The podcast dedicated to writing fast, writing often, and writing well. We are on episode number 32, and we have another great, wonderful guest. Jim Johnson is here today. Stop by the show. And I love Jim. I've been following him around, not in a creepy way, maybe in a creepy way. Don't tell him. Uh, but 
Jim is is part of a writing group that I'm a part of, and I've been following his career, and he is a prolific writer. He has been getting serious about his fiction writing and been cranking out the books, cranking out the words, and he has tons and tons of advice to give us today. And so I'm really glad that you're here to tune in. You're going to learn a lot. And what I love about Jim's story is that he is a full-time writer, but he's a full-time technical writer. He's a full-time editor for his day job. And I love the way Jim talks about that because he talks about how he's a full-time technical writer and editor, but then he comes home and he becomes a full-time fiction writer. And Jim is a husband and he has a young child and all the other responsibilities. And yet he carves out time to get in the words, get in the, the, the time, butt in the chair, and he cranks out the work. And I love the way he, he talks about his process. You're going to hear about that, how he does it, um, what he's been learning, uh, how he writes quickly, but also how he writes well his editing process and all that. And you're just going to love his story. I think it's an encouraging story. It's one we hear often uh, here on the show that people that are living the writing dream and love writing, even if they don't get paid a nickel, but, but they keep doing it and keep getting after it and with all the other responsibilities and all the other things going on in their lives. And so really glad that Jim was able to, to come by and spend some time with us. And I think you're going to get a ton out of this, this show. So so, so hang in there and enjoy the show. And I, I do have one quick announcement that I'm not going to have anything at the end of the show today. So I'll just say it now is that next week we have a very, very, very special guest. And, uh, Jim Johnson has been a disciple of this man. I've been somewhat of a disciple of this man and learned from him who's been writing for, for many years and helped a lot of indie writers and, uh, writers in general. And, uh, Dean Wesley Smith is coming on the show. So he is the epitome of, of the prolific writer podcast. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing that one next week as well. And we have a lot more great guests coming on the show. And I just want to say, I talked with someone today and they, they asked me about the show and how do you find all these great guests? And I, I just want to say, I, I don't really know. Uh, I just ask and people give me recommendations and sometimes people reach out to me. And, and so, yeah, thank you for everybody that has come on the show. Thank you for your generosity of sharing your insights, your wisdom, uh, your ups, your downs. You're helping a lot of people. And that's why I created this show. It's not about me. It's not about my insights, but it's really about all the different writers, different backgrounds, different people, and just sharing their time. And for some reason, sometimes writers can be kind of stingy and make writing into some kind of magic, but we just have a ton of great people that have come on. They've been so generous and so helpful and so thoughtful. So thank you everybody that's come on the show. I can't believe it's episode already 32 and uh, yeah, look forward to doing many, many more. So with no further Adieu. Here is Jim Johnson. Never has the story of the old glory needed introduction or reduction. Just the passing on of morals from the parents to the children. Well, hey, everyone, this is Ryan from the Prolific Writer Podcast, and I am privileged today to have Jim Johnson on the line. So why don't you say hello, Jim? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So Jim is uh, part of a writing group we're both uh, mutually a part of and have been following Jim in his career, and he was 
gracious enough to come on the show today. And so we're looking forward to talking to him, hearing a little about his uh, writing journey. And uh, hey, Jim, why don't you tell us just a little bit of kind of your family, your background, where you're from, and uh, yeah, just introduce yourself. Uh, gosh, there's so much. Um, Midwesterner, military family, lived up and down the East Coast, uh, spent most of my life in Virginia, so that's where I am now. Uh, just like I said, like outside the nation's capital, I live about uh, 10 miles from uh, the White House, maybe, if that much. So if the big bomb drops, we'll be caught in the uh, in the fallout, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll be pretty much ground zero here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so my uh, my wife and my uh, baby son and I, we all live here. And um, I love Virginia because there's, so uh, there's so much within, like, a three-hour drive. you got the mountains and you've got forests and you've got the ocean and uh just tons and tons of history here as well definitely definitely a beautiful uh part of the country one of my favorite parts i love you know pennsylvania virginia dc it's all all beautiful yeah. uh, so tell tell me a little bit are you um are you a full-time writer or are you um working the day job where are you at as far as that goes no, I uh, I have a day job as a uh, um, business development proposals, technical writing, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I am a full time writer, but I'm not a full time fiction writer. Um, I do that as my day job, and then uh, fiction is kind of a second second full time job because uh, I put probably forty five to fifty hours into the writing uh, business as well every week. So I treat it like a full time job, even though it's not my sole source of income. Well, great, great. No, I I think um, as I've followed you on Facebook and seen some of your interactions. Uh, I, I've really appreciated that, that you, um, you do treat kind of the prolific writing lifestyle, um, as you know, just continually working on projects, continuing out, putting out words. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to just dig in that a little bit. And, um, you've made some interesting comments online that I, I, I found really helpful and I can tell, and I think you've been open about it. One of your, um, favorite mentors is Dean Wesley Smith, um, who is a a great prolific writer. And, uh, there are rumors that he will be on this show soon. Um, so, um, looking forward to talking to him, but, um, uh, you said something online that I thought was really, really cool. And this is actually, um, a a while back. And I think it was related to a different, uh, series you were working on a while back, maybe last year, but you did a three books in three month, uh, challenge. And you said it took about right. nine, nine months, um, but you said something about <laughs> finishing what you start, and um, just kind of as a encouragement to to those out there. So, talk a little bit about that. Kind of what was this challenge about, and um, you know, what, what about this idea of finishing what you start? Because I think that's really key when we talk about being a prolific writer. Sure, absolutely. So, um, last last year, so twenty twenty sixteen, probably early in the year, like around February or March. Uh, there were a bunch of people on K-boards like uh, Chris Fox and myself and I think Domino Finn and a couple other people who were challenging themselves to do, like like just making these crazy challenges to themselves to try to do a lot of books in a short span of time. And, uh, and I was inspired by both Chris and Domino uh, to do my own challenge. And I thought at the time, you know, hey, why not try to do three novels in three months and see how that goes? And uh, I totally did not appreciate how having a toddler would completely um, – adjust that schedule unintentionally <laughs> but so i uh, so i started that uh challenge and the first one the first book was great i mean i got it done in about a month month and a half maybe and then started working on the second one and then life hit as it always does and uh, it actually took me nine months longer than i thought it would so the the third book in the trilogy just came out on july 1st um like a couple of weeks ago 
And uh, so it took me a year to get the three-month challenge done. But uh, like, like, you, uh, like you mentioned uh, in my post that you saw, um, I finished it. And that was the most important thing for me. Um, throughout most of my life, I've, I've, I, don't remember, I don't even remember where I learned it from or who gave you the piece of advice to finish what you start. But I've always held on to that. And uh, even when I was uh, going to college, I was a career student. I went to uh, uh, George Mason here in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, I was a full-time career student. It took me nine years to, uh, to get my degree because I had to go part-time. And so uh, just the way it worked out back in the you know, late 80s, early 90s, when, you, uh, when I went to college, you, the, uh, the different classes that were available, you were kind of dependent on the schedule of the classes that they had to offer, right? So even if I had certain electives to take and they didn't offer it in the spring, I'd have to wait till the fall. So it just took a long time to get that, uh, that, that degree done, but I stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it. And uh, that's one of my prouder achievements is that uh, I managed to spend nine years as a college student and actually finally uh, get my degree. And I, I just kind of carried that tenacity over into uh, into writing because when you start a manuscript, you can't give up on it. You know, when I was starting my writing career uh, mumble years ago, um, you know, I was just like every other starting writer. I'd start a story and then start editing it and then stop writing it and then start something new and start editing and stop. And, and so I had this huge pile of unfinished stories and, and finally, I, I said to myself, look, I've got to actually finish something or I'm not really a writer. You know, I'm just kind of screwing around, right? So I started finishing what I started and then started submitting it. So um, anyway, so all that being said, um, starting starting a challenge or starting a manuscript or starting a story, always, always finish it. No matter where you are in your life, find a way to finish it. Because that, that sense of accomplishment, even if you don't do anything with it, if you don't publish it or if you don't submit it to uh, to a market or something, at least you'll know in your head and your heart that you actually finished it. No, I, I think that's great advice. I, that's what I love about your, your story and just the things you've, you've kind of encouraged other writers in, in our group. And is uh, that the thing about finishing, I, I just wrote a, a thing on, um, actually did an episode on the Highlands rules and uh, Highlines yeah. rules. And um, yep. you, you, you're familiar with that. And Dean Wesley Smith talks about it and, and whatever. Uh-huh. But, um, but, you know, he talks about that as being one of his rules is you got to finish what you start. And, um, there, you know, I talked about how there's, there's something that's kind of unlocked in us when we finish something. And that, and like you said, it doesn't matter if you publish it or you share it or whatever, but it's just going from, you know, a and getting to Z and you kind of tell yourself, Oh, I can do this. And once you finish one thing, you go to the next thing and you go, I know how to do this now. I know how to start a thing and end a thing. And I I find that very applicable to a lot of life. Um, but you know that's I think that's what's holding back some writers is is just the they got this project that project this story this thing you know and they're they're not really finishing anything um, and uh, and so that's really beautiful so let me ask you this and I don't know if you can answer this because I've I've had a lot of people on this show and this question comes up all the time but but what do you think is the the reason why we tend to start this, start that, start this, start that, never finish anything, edit the crud out of it and, you know, and just move on or move away from it or whatever. What do you think like in us just kind of gets, why do we, why do we get, um, I guess what, what would the, the way to say that? Why do we get so stuck sometimes? Any, any thoughts on that or what's been helpful in your experience of when you couldn't finish things? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I couldn't really put a, uh, 
um, a word to it for a long, long time. But then uh, Dean Wesley Smith had a whole series of uh, articles on his on his blog and his website about fear. Um, basically, um, everything, well, not everything, but a lot of things that get in the way of a writer finishing a project is fear of some sort or another, whether it's a fear of actually finishing something or fear that you're not going to be um, taken seriously by anybody or fear that someone's not going to like your story or fear that an editor is going to reject it. You know, it's all, it's all fear. And, um, and, and that internalized fear kind of turns into an, uh, an internal critic, right? And that internal critic, that critic's only job is to stop you from writing and to stop you from succeeding. So if you let that inner voice get the better of you, then you're not going to be able to finish anything or, or you know, get over that, that fear. And uh, you just have to, each, you know, each of us just have to develop that, uh, that self-confidence that what we're doing is, is, is okay and good and, uh, and just kind of push that fear aside. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage everybody to check out uh, Dean's blog. Just do a, you know, Google search on uh, Dean Wesley Smith and fear, and you'll see, you'll see some great articles on there about, uh, about how to, uh, to conquer that fear. Or if you can't conquer it, at least uh, I think Dean likes to call it, he, he builds a little prison in his brain, and then he pushes the fear into that long enough for him to finish a story, you know, just so that it, it doesn't control him or control you, you know. I think, I think that's that's it. I think that it takes on different forms of fear, you know, fear of rejection, fear of, you know, what if my wife thinks I'm crazy or, you know, whatever it is. Um, right. No, I think that's really good. And I think once you kind of hit, you know, and I, I think, you know, if we're all honest, I don't think that ever really goes away fully. Um, I think no. there there's always that, that it kind of keeps your edge though it keeps you going okay this could be really good or this could be really terrible or you know what if i can't finish it this time what if i run out of ideas what if what if what if what if um but uh no that's great so let's uh let, let's talk i really um and enjoying just hearing your story so you mentioned um you know full-time job day job full-time writing job um but let's talk about a little bit kind of where your desire to write where your love of writing came from what what have been some of your influences growing up um you know into your adult years college all those experiences i mean did you grow up in a writing home a creative home uh talk a little bit about that um so not a not really a creative home although my my family we were always encouraged to do whatever you know really called to us um i don't think i caught the writing bug until probably junior high or high school when I had to start writing reports and stuff for school. And then I wrote in, uh, in uh, my senior year at high school, I wrote a, uh, like a six page article about our, you know, paper on uh, Stonewall, ja- you know, general Stonewall Jackson from the uh, Confederacy during the civil war. And, uh, my, uh, my counselor at, uh, at school saw a copy of it and said, Hey, this is really good. You should do something with your writing. And at the time I was like, you know, I was 17. I didn't know anything. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then I went to college, and in a, a summer elective, um, I took a creative writing course, and uh, the teacher really liked what I was doing, and you know I didn't know anything from anything at the time, but uh, that kind of got the bug going. And uh, since then, I've just I've always had to write, and uh, I, I wouldn't call it a job. I think it's more of a of a vocation, really. I mean, I can't imagine ever not writing, even if I never made a another penny off my writing, I'd always write until I'm no longer physically capable of it. Cause I love to tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I, I dabbled in community theater for a while cause that's a different kind of storytelling. Um, but really putting, putting, uh, words down on paper and, and then, you know, turning into a book format is just, it is really what calls me more than anything else of, as a, you know, creative pursuit. 
So how has been the uh, transition? We've had a lot of uh, writers that write in their day job, journalists, you know, um, other kind of technical writers. Has that been a challenge as far as making the, the transition from kind of more technical nonfiction type writing to fiction, creative, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. Um, how, how's that been just in the writing um, process? Uh, it's been fine. I mean, I, most of my professional background is in editing and, uh, and technical writing. So those skills translate really well to uh, at least the, the publishing side of uh, indie publishing, uh, because I can, I can put my creative hat on and go crazy with, uh, with writing the fiction. And then when I, uh, you know, when I take a couple of days and sit back, and then turn on the editor brain and go into it as an editor. Uh, it's a very different skill set. I mean, they're definitely related, right? Because it's all writing. Um, but uh, I definitely have kind of uh, um, two pieces of my brain working differently when I'm when I'm in creative mode or when I'm in editing mode. So it, it's it's worked out really well um, in that respect. Um, I want to go back real quick though uh, to some of the you, you had a question about some of the influences in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I, I was totally a, a science fiction and fantasy gr- nerd. So uh, I was uh, I was just a kid when Star Wars came out. Um, so uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, and reruns. Um, Monty Python. So Monty Python was on uh, like PBS in the seventies. It was rerun here in the states. So that was a huge influence. Um, and then in high school, I discovered uh, role playing games. You know, Dungeons and Dragons and Star Frontiers and all those other ones. And uh, so I'm a I'm a huge gaming nerd and a huge uh, Star Trek science fiction geek. So all that has uh, influenced my writing over the years. So you've uh, you've written a couple uh, things. Actually, you've written six or seven things the last couple of years. And uh, and so you just wrote a I think it's an urban fantasy series. Um, and then I can't tell exactly what your first series was. The uh, Pistols and Pyramids series. What, what genre is that in? Yeah, the, uh, so uh, Pistols and Pyramids is my was my passion project that I started publishing with, and uh, you know now that I you know knowing what I know now, two years later, I, I probably would not have started with that because it's a it's a weird western mm-hmm. slash kind of horror mix up, and uh, it was a lot of fun to write, but there's not a huge market for it, <laughs> and uh, I need to rebrand the covers and uh, do a little work on it, but um, uh, it was great as a learning experience. Um, but I also had an urban fantasy series in mind that I wanted to write. And, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have started with that first. But I, I value the learning experience I got from publishing the Weird Western. So I, have, I really have no regrets about that because it's all, it's, all, uh, it's all practice. It's all learning. You know, and as long as you learn from it and keep moving forward, that's the goal. Um, but so anyway, so I wrote the, the urban fantasy trilogy next and uh, had a lot of fun with that. And so you're, uh, you just said you published one July 1st. Um, that's actually yep. my, my birthday, so good job. Um, oh, and, uh, and Canada Day, so uh, our Canadian friend's birthday. Um, but um, so your, your urban fantasy, do you, do you have any um, kind of, how would I say, influences, books you've read as far as fantasy or anything growing up? I know you like sci-fi and things, but anything that kind of caught your fancy when you were younger or even today? Uh, sure. I, I've read just a ton of fantasy. Uh, you know, uh, Tolkien, of course, was the uh, was the foundation. A lot of Anne McCaffrey, especially the Dragonfly of Pern series uh-huh. and the Harper Hall series. I love those. Um, one, one author who I love, who just for whatever reason doesn't get a huge amount of attention, is Catherine Kurtz. 
Um, I think her uh, Dorini series of uh, epic historical fan that's really been a big influence on the system. Catherine Kurtz is is willing to uh, present some really great characters and then kill them off when you don't really expect her to. <laughs> and um, it, that, that's just it, it inspired me as a writer because you have to be. It's not so much killing your darlings; it's uh, it's just being willing to tell a great story, and when it's appropriate for someone to uh, to get knocked off, then you know, as a writer, you're willing to do that because it serves the story, as opposed to you know, you're protecting a, a precious character that you've created. Uh-huh. So I really like way more uh, in this day and age. Well, um, a couple other things. I, I really uh, I, I've appreciated some of the the things that you've talked about. Um, as far as the writing and, and obviously you've had some influences, Dean Wesley Smith, some others. Um, one thing you talked about too was, um, someone was, was asking about marketing and, and those, and you said, you know, you just need more product out there, you know, less social, social media, more product, more potential eyes on your work. Talk a little bit about that kind of your, your philosophy of, you know, how do we get more eyeballs on our, on our books? Um, how do we sell more books? Those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so this is just just based off of uh, years of uh, talking to other writers and uh, and you know spending time on different message boards and Facebook and K boards and everything else. You know, obviously, compared to some of your guests, I don't I don't have the sales yet to compare to some of them, which is you know which is fine because you know I'm I'm in the early part of my uh, indie publishing career. But um, just based on what I've seen over the last two years, just doing ads with my books and and hearing other people's stories. Um, it, it really seems now, by and large, that the bigger backlist that you have, the better off you're going to be, and the better that backlist is going to serve you when you're doing ads for a new book. Uh, so, for instance, when I was uh, when I published the Weird Western series, um, I was doing a lot of ads with uh, some different some of the different sites, and and I was getting you know decent results. But I it dawned on me that uh, you know if I had more books to sell or, or more books to my backlist. Then advertising book nine or you know whatever would help the other eight books because then um, readers are seeing my name and maybe my Amazon page or maybe my website and they'll say oh this guy's written you know six other books maybe I'll check out those books as well and so I think the bigger backlist you have the the more effective any advertising is going to be because you've got more you know more product to sell and uh, so Dean Wesley Smith I, uh, has a, uh, another great summary that he talks about a lot where you envision your writing career as a magic bakery and every book you write is a, is another pie in that bakery. Um, so the more pies you have to sell, the more your customers are going to, you know, browse around and, and check, check out what you've got. So, um, you know, as far as marketing, I think, you know, book, book bub can be great. You know, all these different advertising sites can be great, but ultimately the, the best thing a writer can do is have more product to sell. Uh, especially if you know if you're really a writer, then and, and you have that need inside you to write and tell stories, you're going to write more stories and more books and more novels anyway. Um, so just you know follow that natural tendency and keep writing and keep publishing, and uh, and keep growing the backlist. I, I think the the next book is always going to be your best advertisement. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I'm I'm seeing so much of just kind of short sighted careers where you know. Hey, I made this much amount this month. I made this much amount that month, but which is fine. But you know, we have to look at that over you know multiple years, not just six months or three months. Or, right. um, and we get so hung up on you know marketing that one book. You know, I got this one book, and I gotta you know I'm throwing all these ads at it, and I'm doing all these things. Um, but there's nothing else for anywhere for anywhere else to go. You know, if they like it, it's like okay, now what? <laughs> right. 
And uh, no, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I think that's kind of what we're hoping to cultivate here with the, the, the prolific writer podcast is to say, think long term, not just short wins like, oh, I got the book bub, you know, and I sold 3000 copies. Well, great. But that's going to end real quick. You know, are you are, do you have anything else to sell? Is there anything behind it? Are you writing more th- more stories? Are you, you know, thinking about, you know, audio? Are you thinking about print? Are you thinking about, you know, other markets, those kinds of things? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and, and I love the fact that everybody is, I mean, this is like finding my tribe almost, mm-hmm. uh, not, not just prolific writers, but fast writers, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, so having that, having that big backlist is going to be so valuable, especially because with, uh, with indie publishing and eBooks, you know, they they never go away, right? It's not like we, it's not like, <laughs> Traditional publishing, where they go out of print, and the only place you're going to find it is in a used bookstore. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you publish an ebook; it'll be sitting on Amazon or the other vendors or whatever for 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 however long it's up there. You know, until you pull it off, and you never know when a readers a new reader's going to come along and say, "Hey, I just found this book, and it's awesome. And look, there's six books in the series, and I'm going to buy all six of them right now." Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> the uh, like my my weird western series. I'm doing hardly any advertising at all on it. Uh, it's just sitting there pretty much for for a year now, and I still sell you know a couple dozen copies a month plus you know whatever's I get in uh, KU page reads. And like I said, I'm not doing anything. It's just people discovering it through uh, through Amazon and through uh, Google searches and stuff. And that's that's passive income. That you know, Dean Dean talked about this a lot, and other writers have talked about it too. But if you have like 30 books selling 10 copies a month, you know, at the end of the year, that adds up. And uh, if you're focusing on the very short term, then you're going to say, well, you know, I made $200, but that's not much. And what am I wasting my time on? But, you know, so you make 200 bucks on one book in a year. If you've got 40 books, 50 books, then that that little bit of money starts adding up pretty quick. Uh Right. And I think that's part of the whole concept behind the uh, the 20 books to 50K group that um, Michael Landerly started. Which is, uh, you know, the basic concept I love is, is like, you know, you, you find the right 20 books that you write and uh, and hit the right markets. And then, you know, that, that earns you your your 50 grand or what, you know, whatever your target goal is. And then uh, and then you're off and running. And, and I think there's a you know, we have to almost think in averages. I mean, you talked about yep. 30 books, 40 books. You know, I, I mean, I have 12 or 13 books, nonfiction, fiction and, you know, some of my books sell like one copy a month, but some sell 30, you know, or right. whatever. And so you're trying to average those things out. Yep. And and I think that's when you're going to have a, a, you know, a productive career and a lifelong career is, is the average, you know, um, I think, yeah, Dean Wesley, I was just reading something from him too. And he, he said something about, you know, 25 books um, over, you know, a hundred books or 25 sales a month over a hundred books. I mean, you think about how much money that is. Um, right. And that's not even counting, you know, audio books, uh, other markets, you know, um, not including just Amazon, but, um, all the different ways you can, you can sell. Um, yeah. and, and I think those are the writers that we'll, we'll see around in, you know, the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, not ones that just kind of come and go. I, I agree completely. I think, I think the writers that are, uh, that are, that are looking to the long term right now are the ones you're going to see around. And the ones that are, um, focused on like their, their, their stuff right now and how they're going to, you know, pay their monthly bills or whatever. They're, they're the ones who are probably going to struggle if they can't start looking a little bit ahead. That's great. That's great. 
So I want to uh, ask you a couple of questions about um, tracking um, as far as word counts. I, I, I saw you wrote a, a post about that, and um, you were just talking about the value of, of tracking words. And I've had a few different guests on that have talked about this. And so talk to us a little bit about why you track your words, why you kind of gauge your pr- productivity. What, what's kind of the thinking um, behind that? Um, so so there's two, two answers to that. The first answer it ties into the into actually finishing what you start uh, because w- when you finish something, it, it unlocks something in your brain, whether it's a sense of satisfaction or the you know the endorphins or whatever. But but tracking something too as you're as you're working toward completing something, it as you track your progress, you, you're seeing that progress, right? It's not just some nebulous oh I'm going to finish this book in four days. It's actually you're seeing the words coming down and, and you're seeing the work and the hours you're putting into it. So that you can understand, you know, in your head, the satisfaction of knowing that, uh, you know, you've set yourself a goal and you're working toward it and you're going to finish it. Um, you know, for me personally, I track it because it's just a sense of satisfaction to know, hey, I did, you know, 4,000 words yesterday and 5,000 words today. And I need to I need to hit, you know, 3,000 words for the next four days and then this book is done. And uh, just being able to track that progress um, is it, just personally satisfying because, it you know, it means that I've. I've set myself a goal to accomplish something, and then I can see that I'm actually doing it. So, you know, on the occasions in a given day, if I'm having a rough day or something, and I'm like, uh, you know, I just don't know if I can bring myself to sit down at the keyboard and knock this out, I can look at that progress and say, oh, you know what, I've done it every day prior to this, so I'm, I can sit down and do it. And uh, so it's just a little, uh, you know, just a little reminder to uh, to just sit down and do it. Uh, the other part is, um, you know, I've done uh, a lot of freelance writing over the years, and also, I've done some short stories for different anthologies as they've come up, and uh, you know whether it's been a cold submission or having the editors approach me and say, "Hey, I have a I have a need for a story. Can you write a ten thousand word story in three weeks or something?" Um, by by knowing what my writing speed is and what I can actually accomplish in a given day or a given hour, I, I I can be pretty reliable in in knowing if an assignment or or an opportunity comes up, I, I know whether I can hit it or not. Right, so if if someone says, "Hey, I've got this anthology and I need a ten thousand word story on X topic," you know, is that something you can deliver in, in, within their deadline? And uh, by having tracked my my work over the last several years, I know what I can accomplish, and uh, and that just helps, um, you know, socializing with other writers and other editors, and uh, you know, brings in more work. So just just having that awareness of what you're capable of. Um, on a consistent basis is really, really huge as part of your uh, professional writing career. Oh, I think that's really smart. Uh, the The tracking thing is also, I think, kind of a, a shocker for some of us is when we start actually tracking, we either think we're a lot faster than we are or we realize we're a lot slower. Um, and uh, But, you know, it, I think the last, maybe it was two novels ago, I, I realized I, it took me 21 days to write um, a fairly good first draft uh-huh. um and so i kept telling myself well, i know i can do you know it was like 50 or sixty thousand words i don't remember um but but it just kind of told me it took me 21 actual writing days so that's actual butt in the chair days to right. to finish that and so you kind of like you're saying it's like you kind of gauge okay this is how long it's going to take me to at least get something that's decent um yep. you know before i edit and all that um but no, that's really helpful, and I, I think the other thing too is 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 you also realize it doesn't take a lot to produce a book. And in, in other words, 
just adding more words each day. Um, you talked about being a full-time dad, full-time husband, full-time job, and also writing a ton. Um, is that we also think of, well, I got to be a really fast typist. You know, I got to write, you know, 20,000 words a minute. Um, but it's really just more time in the chair and just adding up those words. And then over time you realize, wow, if I just write a thousand words a day, you know, in a year, that's 365,000 words. Like that's a ton of novels. Um, and they just add up. Yeah. And and so I think tracking can be a very encouraging thing too. When you say, wow, look what I've done or, or say, Oh wow, I need to get, get my button gear. Um, no, I think that's really, really great, Jim, just to, to think. And I know not everybody's wired that way. I know for some that's a struggle. But I think it's even a good exercise, even if you just do it for a few weeks or a few months, just to kind of gauge where you're at. Um, I always – I don't know if you use Scrivener, but I, I use Scrivener. And I always set deadlines, and I do word – you know, so I know per day how many words I need to do to get it done by this deadline. Um, you know, I've set up pre-orders on purpose just so I get stuff done. <laughs> so, um, to say yep. it's got to be done by this day or, you know, uh-huh. or Amazon's going to kick me out of the country or whatever they do. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I think those are, you know, self-induced tracking, self-induced deadlines can be huge. Yeah, I agree. So I use, uh, I use Scrivener as well. I love the corkboard feature. And, uh, I, so I use a Scrivener to, uh, to, to, uh, compile my drafts and, but also to do all the, uh, all the background work and uh, also all the uh, all the word count tracking. Um, Scrivener has a terrible uh, uh, table feature, um, but I still use it to track my uh, word counts because I I prefer Scrivener over Word. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Word when I have to because I use it for my day job, but uh, for my writing, I prefer uh, writing on an AlphaSmart Neo and then dumping all the text into uh, Scrivener for uh, for for cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have started using I have started using Vellum for uh, for ebook. Um, layouts um I, I, i'm just still getting familiar with it so it's it, it's nice enough as for what it is but uh i'm still uh still a big fan of scrivener uh-huh. no it's great but yes yeah and those uh, those amazon pre-order deadlines man those are those are scary things to miss <laughs> right uh, the uh the second book uh, of the urban fantasy series you know i kind of made the mistake of setting a, a pre-order deadline for myself that was pretty challenging and uh uh, again, I didn't appreciate how how life would get in the way sometimes, and so uh, that deadline was bearing down on me, and I knew there was nothing I could do to to uh, to avoid it. So I think I, uh, you know, I I, I made a uh, I, I negotiated with my wife so that she could keep an eye on our son one Saturday, and uh, <laughs> I think I wrote fourteen thousand words in that Saturday. Oh my goodness! <laughs> just so I could, just so I could hit that deadline, and uh, I was pretty happy with the with the output, but. Uh, I told myself that uh, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna let myself uh, get that much under the gun. Like I, I enjoy the pressure and I enjoy the challenge of reaching that deadline, but that that uh, you know fourteen thousand words in a day is uh, is something I could probably do if if writing was my was my single deal, um, but it's not yet, and so I'm happy to do five thousand six thousand words a day and not feel like I need to to crank out fourteen thousand words because that was. It wasn't so much mentally exhausting, but my my wrists and my hands were just worn out from uh, from all that typing. Sure, sure. Yeah, their Amazon is crazy. I mean, you've probably done it. They you know send you an email like every day. Hey, make sure you have your final file. Make sure you have your final file. You know, uh, you need it yeah. ten days before or whatever it is. You know, right. And and now if you if you go into the if you go into the KDP dashboard, it'll it'll have a, it'll have a countdown. It has a running clock. Oh, really. That, 
that counts down the minutes and the seconds. So you, if I mean, if you happen to have it on your screen, you're like, oh man, I've got three hours and six minutes. Oh my gosh, I better hurry oh, up. My <laughs> yeah, like the world's gonna end. Yeah. Um, that's great. So that, that's a good uh, good segue, good transition into. I wanted to hear a little bit about. You know, you've mentioned full-time job, full-time daddy, full-time husband, obviously. Um, and so what does it look like to kind of write in the, you know, I call it writing in the cracks of your life. Um, how have you kind of, um, you know, scheduled your time? What does that look like? You know, is it morning? Is it evening? Um, talk, talk us through that a little bit of your process. Sure, absolutely. So um, I'll preface it by saying uh, another tracking thing that, that I know a lot of writers hate to do, but it's an awesome, awesome exercise. If you're the type of writer, and I'm not, this is generic you, if you're the type of writer who complains about not having enough time in the day to write, what, what I challenge you to do is, is take one week of your life and every day track everything you do in your day in 15-minute increments. I know it's going to be a boring pain in the butt to do it, but if you actually diligently set yourself down and say, okay, every day, here's what I'm doing every 15 minutes of, of this day, and then you do it for a week, you're going to have a really good sense of where you're spending your time. And then you have to be honest with yourself and say, what is it? What in what in this week can I give up to focus on my writing? If, if your writing is really important to you, what can you sacrifice to 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 you know take that time and focus on your writing? So I did that about nine years ago, and I discovered that you know I was wasting a lot of time, you know, quote unquote, wasting a lot of my time on stuff that wasn't as important to me as as my family and my writing. And so I made some adjustments, and I stopped writing. I stopped watching a lot of TV, and I stopped watch, um, playing a lot of video games, and uh, stopped, you know, just frittering my time away on the internet. And um, I also started learning how to uh, write in sprints. So I think some people uh, use the Pomodoro technique. Uh, there are other names for it. Um, I basically what I do is I write in thirty-minute sprints. Um, no internet, no distractions, no phone, just a timer and my uh, Alpha Smart Neo. So I have you know no other distractions other than to sit down and write. Um, I write as much as I can in that 30 minutes, and then I take a break. Um, I always take at least a 10-minute break if I know I have a couple sprints um, in a row that I can do. And that break is for me to get up and move around and stretch and uh, try to preserve um, the wear and tear on my body, right? Just you know, your back and your neck and your wrists and your hands, all that stuff. Because all that stuff is going to catch up to you over time. You know, I'm in my mid 40s, and uh, you know, my body is starting to tell me things I did in my youth <laughs> wasn't probably the best thing I could have done, right? And so I want to write for as long as I can, and I, you know, I need my my hands and my wrists to be capable of, of doing that. Uh, I haven't really tried dictation yet, but uh, in the you know until that time comes, I need my hands and my wrists to be working. Um, so I take breaks when I can. But anyway, so um, thirty minute sprints, and and where you're talking about the cracks in the day, you know, my my day job fortunately um, has peaks and valleys where I'm either crazy crazy busy or it's fairly slow. Um, so if I have a half an hour on my lunch break or I know I have a half an hour in between meetings or uh, maybe I have an hour here, an hour there, um, I, can, I, can, I know I can write a writing sprint so I can sit down and just bang out a, writing, uh, a, uh, a sprint in that time. Um, nights are usually pretty good because uh, my son goes to sleep somewhere between 7.30 and 8. And uh, I've always been a night owl. So anywhere between 8.30 and uh, midnight or eight thirty and one eight thirty one o'clock is uh, you know family time with my wife or um, or reading or uh, getting some writing done. So there's a there's a nice chunk of time in the evenings where I probably do most of my writing. Uh, the mornings are usually taken up by getting my son ready for uh, daycare and doing breakfast and just life stuff like that. So I'd say most of my writing is done either during the day in uh, in breaks where I can get it or uh, or in the evening. 
But again, it's it's knowing where that where those gaps of time are available to me, and then taking the maximum advantage of it. I think uh, one of your other guests, it might have been Chris, uh, Chris Fox, um, mentioned how uh, as you do more writing and as you continue to to write and practice and and learn your craft, there's going to come a point where you can kind of turn the flow on and off, right? When you get into into flow mode, when you're you just you're just into the writing and you're not even seeing the words, you're just flowing them out of your head and onto the paper, right? Uh, if you practice long enough. You can get, you can kind of get to the point where you can turn that flow on and off at will. So I, I'm at the point now that I've, I've been writing for so long now that when I have my uh, my my uh, my light outline in hand, I know what I need to write. So in that 30 minutes, I can sit down at the neo and go, okay, boom, I'm writing. I hit the timer. I'm off and running. There's no uh, there's no navel gazing. There's no staring at the wall. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not playing with paper clips trying to think about what the next sentence is going to be. I just, I, boom, I'm off and running. And then when that timer goes off in 30 minutes, I stop dead wherever I am, take a break. And I, I love it when it when I stop right in the middle of a sentence because that gives me all kinds of uh, forward momentum wanting to go into the next sprint to pick up right where I left off for the next 30 minutes and then just blaze away on the next piece of it. Um, so I, I know a lot of writers really don't believe that when I say it, that you can turn on turn the flow on and off at will. But seriously, if you stick with it, 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 it can happen. It, it's just it's a natural progression as you get more confident with your writing and your your speed goes up, and uh, you learn. I think Dean Wesley Smith tells us, you know, if you learn to just get out of your own way and write, you know, it'll it'll happen. No, that's great. So let me ask you two questions about those sprints. So um, how many words can you crank out in 30 minutes? And then I think you already answered the question, but do you use some kind of outline just so when you come to those sprints and you have time during the day, you can just kind of go for it. Yep. Um, so uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because there, there was actually a, there was a post on K boards about a week ago. Uh, somebody had, uh, had been talking about sprints like two years ago and, uh, and then the thread got resurrected and, uh, and I happened to look back on it. And like two years ago, I posted on it <laughs> and said that on whatever project I was working on at the time, I was averaging about 1,200 to 1,300 words a, a sprint. And then, so two years ago, and then now with my tracking, I'm, I'm up to like 1,400, 1,430 or something. So in, in the space of two years, like this this thread kind of came out of nowhere that like totally unintentionally, it's become kind of like my benchmark. It's like, I see where I was two years ago and I see where I am now. So um, the the last uh, the book three I did for the Urban Fantasy series, I wrote that in uh, it took me 57 sprints to write it, and I averaged about 1,300 words a sprint, give or take. Um, some of them are obviously quite a bit longer. Some of them were shorter, uh, just depending on where I was in the story at the time. Um, but so pretty reliably, about 1,350 or so a, a sprint, and that's been consistent over the last year on all kinds of different projects, whether it was a short story for an anthology or the uh, Urban Fantasy series, or uh, even some of the freelance work that I'm doing right now. Uh, pretty pretty consistent. So, uh, and then, oh, and then go your, ahead. Go ahead. Your other, yeah, I'm sorry. Your other question was on the uh, the outlining. Yep. Uh, what what I, I do use an outline, but it's it's what I call a, um, a light outline. Basically what I do is I, uh, is I sit down with Scrivener using the corkboard function and the, the note cards. I love note cards. And uh, I used to love the physical note cards, having them in my hands. But um, once I got Scrivener and started using the uh, the electronic corkboard function, I just I fell in love with it because, uh, uh, of course, 
you know, I've been using a, a computer to write for what, 25 years now. And my handwriting <laughs> is terrible. I, it's like, I, even my grocery lists are on text now because I just, I can't read my own writing anymore because it's so it, it's sad, all, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I don't know what I would do without a, without a, a laptop or a computer or, or the ability to text or something. I'd be, I'd be doomed. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so I, you, when I, when I start a project, I sit down with Scrivener and, uh, um, I, I kind of put together a, a rough outline. You know, I, I, I usually know approximately what word count I'm shooting for and approximately how many chapters I want to have within that word count because I tend to write chapters that aren't much longer than I can get in a sprint. So usually 1,000 to 1,500 words per chapter, give or take. I, I, I like short chapters because they're, they're quick to write and they're fun to read, and I like to give the readers kind of a sense of forward momentum and shorter chapters kind of help that along so that they can think to themselves, oh, just one more chapter, one more chapter, one more chapter, and then they're done with the book. You know, if you can hold your reader down into the story and just keep them reading, then you don't give them the opportunity to, to get away and, you know, go to the bathroom or get a drink or otherwise forget about your story. So I, I like to keep them moving. Um, so what I do is I, I write maybe a sentence or a phrase per chapter, just kind of broad strokes. And I use what um, Holly, uh, f- fantasy writer Holly Lale likes to call them her uh, her candy bar scenes, like like the really cool scenes in the book that I know are going to happen that are going to be really fun to write. I'll I'll put note cards sprinkled throughout the outline there, and then I just know, you know, I just figure out how do I get from that from point A to point B. You know, what what's the filler pieces that have to connect those pieces together. Um, and then I usually have a climax. You know, I, I usually have a pretty good idea how the book is going to end. I may not know the specifics because I like to be surprised. Um, I, you know, I'm not a total pantser, but I like to be flexible um, so that you know I kind of have an idea of where I'm going. But you know, how exactly I get there is, is flexible, um, and and being willing to uh, um, let the characters kind of drive me if they, they have a different different idea. So uh, I'm not entirely a pantser like Dean uh, Wesley Smith, but I, I, I like to have a little bit more structure. Uh-huh. But even with a, with a light outline, um, I'm constantly thinking about it and constantly revising it as I'm working on the manuscript so that the, uh, you know, the outline that I start with is never what I end up with. But I'd say probably 85 to 90% of what I start with is what I end up with. But I, I'm willing to have that flexibility in the middle. That's great. So, so, so let me ask you um, two more questions related to that. Um, yep. One is what what do you think has been the key to you talked about your sprints going, um, doing doing more words per sprint? What's been the key to that success? And then secondly, um, why thirty minutes, for instance, as opposed to ten minutes, hour? I mean, is there some magic to that, or just talk talk us through that a little bit? Um, I, I don't know that there's any magic to 30 minutes. I think that's just kind of what I started with. I, I was in a writing group at the time, like nine years ago or something, when I started sprint writing. And uh, we, I think we just kind of arbitrarily picked 30 minutes because um, we, were, we were doing uh, – we, we did a couple of retreats where we spent like nine hours a day for two days just writing. And we, we were like, well, how do we break this up? And someone was like, well, how about 30-minute – chunks and i was like okay that sounds great so let's do that and it just it just seemed to work really well because i think um again it goes back to to body and body and mind fatigue right so like if i can be hyper focused on something for 30 minutes hunched over a keyboard banging away on the keys 30 minutes is a good chunk of time to be totally focused on that um i think much longer than that and then you start kind of getting 
you know, you start getting distracted by, oh, you know, my hand's starting to hurt, my, my back is starting to hurt, um, my brain is starting to get fried. You know, like that 14,000 word day, I, my, my brain was pretty well fried by the end of it. Um, Imagine. And, and, so, and so breaking it up into 30-minute segments um, kind of um, avoids that fatigue. But what it also helps me do is if, if I do have a busy day in my day job or, or at home or something, and I know that, you know, I can get a 30-minute block of time easy enough, but uh, an hour would be harder or 45 minutes would be harder. 30 minutes is a good chunk of time. You can just you can slot, slot that in where needed, and it's not necessarily a huge commitment of time. So it's just easier to schedule a 30-minute block as opposed to an hour or an hour and a half or something like that. Very and there's cool. another piece of there's another piece of that question I don't know that I remember. Yeah, you, you just um, meant, you just mentioned you were kind of keeping track of your sprints and how you got faster. Uh, what was kind of what do you think uh, attributed to that to to your uh, word count per sprint? So so I think I think getting faster per sprint is really just a byproduct of the the additional practice. I mean, at this point, I've probably written like over my like writing life, I've probably written five or six million words. And, and when you put in that much practice, you're just naturally going to be faster at it. And, you know, not necessarily better or, or, you know, I don't, you know, I think my fiction now is better than it was 20 years ago, or at least I, sh- you know, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hope, you, you hope if you spend that much time practicing something, you've gotten better at it. But, um, it, it's just a natural progression of, of getting better and getting faster. Um, in fact, what I've discovered is I've I've forced myself to slow down my writing per sprint because what I discovered is if I was writing fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred words per sprint, the the end result was good prose, but it was so full of typos and so full of grammatical errors that that the the work on the back end to edit and revise was was killing me. It was just I, I hate to rewrite and I hate to revise. Um, and, and so I forced myself to slow down a little bit, to, down to like 1,300, 1,400 words per sprint. And, and by being intentional about that, I, I'm writing cleaner copy per sprint now, which means the time it takes me to revise and edit at, on the back end is much, much reduced, which makes me a lot happier as a, as a writer because that means I can focus more of my time on actually writing new content than, uh, than revising. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that's. I know for me that defeated me. So that's why I didn't finish anything. Was the yep. re, the rewriting, the editing? I was just like, this is too much. It's taking forever. Right. And it, you know, what's the point? And it's just horrible. And I just want to burn it. And uh-huh. you know, all that. Um, so let's let's um, let's talk about that. Just okay. You, so you do your your sprints. You know, you do fifty six sprints. You finish an urban fantasy. Let's say, for example. Um, what's kind of your, your process as far as editing and drafts and things? Are you straight through and you're done a quick look over and then who do you pass it off to kind of what's the process before you get it to the published and out into the world? So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm seven books into my, my indie publishing career. So I'm still developing my process. Um, at the moment, what I've been doing is, um, writing it straight through. Um, I do what some of your other guests have talked about this and Dean Wesley Smith talks about it in terms of cycling. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I write, I, I write sprints. Um, when I, when I transfer them to the Neo onto Scrivener, that gives me an opportunity to go through it from the top down just to kind of uh, smooth off any rough edges, clean up the typos, clean up the punctuation, gram- grammar, that kind of stuff. Um, 
So yeah, I get a couple I get a couple passes on it as I'm staying in creative mode, adding new content and and transferring it from the Neo to Scrivener. Um, but then once it's all done, I uh, I compile it as a uh, as a Mobi. I, I load it onto my Kindle, and then uh, after ideally after a couple of days um, of being away from it, I can hit it with fresh eyes and uh, and by reading it on the Kindle, I, I, I see a whole bunch of typos that I may not see on Scrivener. Um, but I also have an old uh, Kindle Touch that um, has the, uh, the text-to-speech functionality. Mm. So I actually I, I sit, the, I sit the Kindle right down next to my computer, and I have it read the story to me as I'm reading the story on Scrivener. And any, uh, any typos that I catch through hearing it, um, I can fix on the screen you know, right then and there. Um, and then uh, sometimes I'll send it off to a proofreader, and sometimes I'll just be the proofreader myself. Um, I'm not necessarily a, a huge proponent of doing it all DIY, do it, you know, doing it yourself. But uh, I, I've I've had good experiences with some editors, and I've had some really bad experiences with some proofreaders to the point where uh, I was like, why am I paying a proofreader to do something that I can do just as well if I take a little bit of space from my work and uh, so I haven't come up with a good process yet. It, part of it's because I just haven't found a proofreader I really trust to uh, to do the work well. And uh, there's there's nothing wrong really as long as you're diligent and uh, and making an effort to uh, make the the copy clean. You know your your readers are not going to care about your pretty prose or your uh, your deathless sentences. You know as long as it's understandable and clear to them. You know your average reader is not going to care about a comma splice. You know so. Perfection is the enemy of good is the uh, is the uh, is the common saying, and uh, I think uh, just part of it's my career as a as a uh, editor and technical writer. So I've got that background already, um, but there's a couple of great resources out there for for writers to uh, to just to self edit when you can, um, just to make your your prose cleaner. You know, I, I certainly encourage you when you can to get your own uh, proofreader or uh, extra set of eyes on it, but like when you when you do have an Amazon deadline breathing down your neck, then you you kind of gotta get the ninety five percent solution out there and and say you know I could spend ten hours making the book maybe one percent better, but what's the difference between ninety five percent and ninety six percent? You know, is it really is it really worth that time and effort? And, and that's uh, that's an, that's an answer only each uh, author can make. You know, there, there's no one true way to do it. No, that's really good. I, I I liked your process about reading it out loud. Well, actually, you know, hearing it out loud, but also reading it out loud. Um, it's amazing how many typos and you know you'll hear it because you're reading it. And it, if the sentence sounds clunky, it sound it's not clear. It'll come out as you read it because you're reading it as a reader. Right. And and uh, no, I think that's a a great. I think it's the most unique process I've actually heard. So I think that could be really good just to hear it and see it. And kind of edit it as you go, um, and then maybe getting another set of eyes on it would is is really worth, I think, the effort. So yeah, absolutely. And I think another part of hearing it read out loud. I mean, what maybe you have a friend who's an who's an actor, whether they're an amateur actor or a professional actor, and can just sit there and read it. Or if you have some sort of software or piece of technology that can read it to you. What it also has helped me is, um, uh, of course, as as writers, we all have our tendencies and our crutch words. And uh, like me, I, I have a tendency to repeat the same word maybe two or three times on a page. And, you know, I don't see it when I'm, when I'm reading or editing. I don't necessarily see the repetition. But hearing it, I'm like, oh, I just used that word 
two sentences ago. I should change that, uh-huh. you know, just to just to make it a little bit more varied and and not make it quite so jarring because because the, the the repetition of words is uh, is a frustration for me. Just as as a writer, I try to be a little bit more diverse. You know, I, I'll I'll never use as much wordage as Tolkien did, but uh, <laughs> I like to. No I like one, to no one will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably good. I mean, there should right. only be one token. Right. Well, Jim, this has uh, been a great priv- uh, privilege, and you've given us just tons and tons of great um, insight and sharing your experiences and your process and your journey, and it's been great. And I always ask this question, um, and I know you've said a lot of things, so if you need to repeat yourself, that's okay. Um, but what what would be just some writing advice you'd like to give kind of the aspiring current prolific writer what, what would you say to them you know here's some things i think are just really important for for you and your becoming a prolific writer uh the so the most important things i would i would say to pay pay forward everything i've learned is always finish what you start um trust in yourself don't necessarily uh, you know you know find your own path you know Look at what other people have done, but don't compare yourself to others. You know, find find your own path. Be be your own best writer. You know, don't be the next uh, um, Brendan Sanderson or the next Tolkien. Just be the best you as as a writer, um, and and always be learning. Uh, you, there, you will never stop learning craft. There's always new craft to learn. Uh, so keep reading as well. You know, I, it always bothers me when writers say, "I don't have enough time to re- to read." It's like if you don't have time to read, then why in the world are you writing? Hmm. You, know, you, you can't possibly write if you don't if you haven't seen how it's been done, even if it's been done badly, right? If you read a book and you say, "Oh my God, this is horrible," then you know, write something better, you know. But the the best way to learn craft is to read what other folks have done. So always learn, always be writing, and uh, never stop learning. Great. That's great. So Jim, uh, tell our listeners, uh, what you got going on as far as projects in the works and then also where they can find you and go get all your books. By all means. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm finishing up the print edition of the third, uh, urban fantasy book. So that'll be out in the next uh, week or two. And then, uh, I am currently researching, uh, doing a heavy dive into a, a, a science fiction series that I want to write. That's going to be my next big challenge. I'm, I'm looking to do six books by the end of the year. Uh, probably won't start releasing them until I've got the first three in the can, uh, just because I don't. I, just you know, strategy-wise, I think that's what I want to do. Uh, so, science fiction is next on deck, and then um, longer term, I'm probably going to try a romance series. See how that goes. Um, I'm curious about romance, and I I want to give it a shot, but I need to do my research first. So, I'm going to spend some time on that. Uh, to find me, you can find me online at uh, www.scribeandetti.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-E-I-N-E-T-I.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on K-Boards. Um, and uh, for any Star Trek geeks out there and gaming geeks, I'm also uh, heavily involved in freelancing for the new uh, Star Trek Adventures role-playing game, which will be out at Gen Con. Uh, I'll be at Gen Con as well, supporting the, uh, the release of the, of the game and uh, happy to meet anybody who shows up. So, uh, you know, not hard to find online. Um, by all means, stop by, say hi, and, uh, and share some insights. Well, great, Jim. I really appreciate it. Um, go get Jim's books. Um, you'll enjoy them, and he's got lots of stuff coming out. So we'll uh, keep you apprised on that. So thanks, Jim, so much for, for stopping by, and uh, you're going to help a lot of people with this uh, interview. 
Uh, that's my goal. And uh, Ryan, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, thank you very much for this podcast. I will uh, endeavor to push this on as many writers and readers as I can so we can get more uh, folks to listen in because uh, you're providing some great, great advice for people. And I really appreciate it. Well, great. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world and head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.